0: Cletus, Cavalier, Returns, and a cryptid campfire story lesson plan. Stay tuned. Professor Theo's Mystery Lab. I'm Professor Theo. Welcome to the lab. Cletus Cavalier is one of my new neighbors. He grew up in Splendid. Moved away to attend the University of Parts Unknown before going to work at the Space Place. And has returned recently. Relocated. Bought a new house just down the street. Son of Splendid, back again. And he's returned with loads of awesome stories, Cletus is quite the storyteller. Not many people around here believe all of his stories, but I do. I know there is more to this universe than meets the eye, and the many adventures of Cletus Cavalier prove that. For those of you who have been anxiously awaiting a new chapter, today offers the fifth of seven chapters in the Cletus Cavalier's Space Run story. Let's get to it. Cletus Cavalier's Space Run Part 5. Lasers blared all around. The forces of Asteria wasted no time in opening fire on the scavengers, and the scavengers answered back in kind, Cletus found himself with a front-row seat to the action. Some popcorn from his final food ration, his only solace. He would have preferred to be just about anywhere else. That damp cell back on the Osborne rock didn't seem so bad compared to this. One stray shot from either side, and Cletus would be floating in space in pieces. Cletus occasionally took his eyes off the action to attempt to find some magic fix that would breathe new life back into his lovable scrap heap. He failed on all accounts. Then he spotted it. While the Asterians and the Scavengers were focused on one another, Cletus's eyes were fixed on Ripper's ship. It was headed straight for Cletus, on a collision course. Fixing his telescope, he could see Ripper's eyes, full of fury fixed on the AIK-205. What drew Cletus's attention the most, though, was Scowl sitting alongside Ripper. That guy just will not go away. Fortunately, well, fortunately for Scowl, Scowl the tormentor had been saved when an emergency exit door on the bottom of Ripper's ship had been opened, just as Cletus rammed into Ripper. Smashing Scowl, not like a bug, onto the bottom of the ship, but miraculously up through the open hatch, abruptly and quickly, as it may have been, to safety. Scowl was angry before, but now he was downright furious. His eyes, for the love of podcasts, I swear they burned bright red and looked like they were about to burst right out of his head. Ripper's ship was careening quickly toward Cletus, who hung in the air, defenseless, counting down to his demise. Twenty seconds a figure, maybe thirty if they're in range, he said. Resignation in his voice. To the old AIK. This is when Cletus did something rare for him. Actually, he did two things that Cletus wouldn't often do. One. He gave up. Two, he prayed. Cletus laid flat on the floor, closed his eyes. Life's moments passed before him. His mother's smile, his first girlfriend, and loads of tacos. As the ship shook suddenly, violently, Cletus heard crashes and smashes and pops all around. His eyes opened. He looked around. This isn't what I imagined being blown to bits would feel like. Am I a ghost? Is this heaven? Cletus popped up prone in his cabin. To his surprise and great pleasure, he didn't seem to be dead at all. He worked his way to the window and looked out to find that his ship had been apprehended by Asterians, as had Ripper's craft. Both were being towed back to the Asteria outpost. You are under arrest, a loud computerized voice called out. Your weapons systems have been disabled. Pretty sure mine were already dead, Cletus confirmed. Do not attempt to retaliate or you will be eliminated, the computer dude continued. Through his window, Cletus could spy Ripper and scowl through the cockpit of Ripper's ship. They were grimacing at him. Cletus waved at them and mouthed the words, Sorry. He couldn't tell for sure, but based on their expression, Cletus guessed his apology was not accepted. The Asterians loaded Cletus, Scowl, and Ripper into three separate cells close together, Ripper's assistants in another fourth cell further away, Cletus had attempted to sweet-talk his way out of his second imprisonment in as many days, but the Astyrians ignored his entreaties. They were no less rough with him than they were with the scavenger, either, which Cletus figured didn't bode well for his status amongst the Astyrians that he hoped would be his allies. Time passes slowly in a cell, especially when your closest compadres spend most of their time berating you and describing all the awful things they're going to do to you when they get their hands on you, as Ripper and Scowl were doing to Cletus. Cletus occasionally tried to get Scowl to laugh, as he was so effortlessly able to do back on Osborne, but Scowl was no longer in a belly-laugh kind of mood. Scowl was the first to be questioned by his Asterian captors. Ripper was second. Neither spoke at all upon their return, which was unusual for what had been such a talkative bunch as of late. Ripper's crew was interviewed next, one at a time. Cletus was the last to go. His interrogation began intensely, and Cletus met with frequent interruption as he attempted to explain his botched mission. The important thing is I made it, right? Cletus asked his questioners. Right? I mean, you got your medical supplies. No response. You're welcome. Still no response. You don't have to say thank you, but I would appreciate some time in the shop here to fix my ship. The Asterian duo looked at each other, and then at Cletus. One spoke. That won't be necessary, You are scheduled to be eliminated at nine tomorrow morning. The whole country will be watching. There's quite a bit of excitement about it. Say what now? Cletus asked. The Asterians escorted the Space Ranger back to his cell. Dejected, he now realized why Scowl and Ripper had come back in such poor moods. Scowl spoke up. You scheduled for public assassination, too? Yeah, I guess so. Cletus was still dumbfounded. Scowl continued, I wish I'd never met you, you know. Cletus responded, You're not the first person to tell me that. Scowl went on, I mean, Asterians are usually nice, pushovers even. These guys aren't nice at all. Ripper sat silent. I don't understand, Cletus added. This isn't how it was all supposed to go down. Not any of it. They were going to welcome me with open arms. Then it happened. Scowl laughed a deep, hearty belly laugh. Then he got quite serious. Burning his fiery red eyes, gaze at Cletus. I got a plan, Scowl interjected. You ready to work together for real this time? End of chapter five. You know, it wouldn't be a fall episode of the Mystery Lab if we didn't have a touch of Halloween. This week, I thought I'd give you an activity, prompt a Halloween-themed lesson to complete for fun. It's called A Cryptid Campfire Story. As long as people have existed, storytelling has been a vital, expressive outlet in all parts of the world. Be it for entertainment, cultural preservation, or to document one's own experiences, theater has its roots in these rich, oral storytelling traditions. A cryptid, that's C-R-Y-P-T-I-D, cryptid, is an animal or beast, supernatural in some cases, that some believe exist or existed in spite of a lack of concrete evidence. The Mothman, the Wayne County Booger Cat, for example, are home to our immediate Appalachian surroundings here in Splendid, as are accounts of Bigfoot and the Flatwoods Monster. Tales of Yeti, Sea Monsters, La Chupacabra, and more abound in folklore all around the world, For your task, I want you to imagine that you're sitting around a campfire deep in the wild and wonderful woods of West Virginia or whatever woods nearby to your home on a chilly early fall evening. The fire pops over the sound of distant cicadas buzzing in the trees. The smell of s'mores still lingers in the smoky air. Darkness has fallen A throng of engaged, if not a bit exhausted, elementary school kids are at your attention. It is campfire story time. Dig deep into the cryptid folklore of your region to tell a tale that will send chills down their spine. Kids are a tough audience, demanding. Keep your work active and direct, and they will reward you for it. Before you put your pen to paper or fingers to keys, imagine the vocal stylings and expressions indicative in Appalachian storytelling that will draw them in. The exaggerated gestures of the performer that will hold their attention. Do this. Write for 15 minutes nonstop. No more, no less. Time it. And then revise and edit your cryptid campfire story into a 300- to 500-word dramatic monologue. I'd love to hear what you come up with. That's all for this week, listeners. We'll be back soon with more Cletus Cavalier and Professor Theo's Mostly Harmless Halloween Haunts, Part 2. In the meantime, have a wild and wonderful week. Be good to each other, listeners. Professor Theo's Mystery Lab is written and read by Jonathan Joy. And Levi Joy. I'm Rissy Joy, the proud wife and mother of these two. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Spread the word. Tell a friend. If you don't, Professor Theo might blast you into outer space. If he could do that type of thing, I mean. Also, please consider supporting this project by making a small monthly pledge at ProfessorTheo.com. You can email our family at theprofessortheo at gmail.com or tweet at us at Theo underscore mystery. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week.